Welcome to the Everything Leafs podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick D'Souza, writer at the Leafs Nation. Nick, how are you doing today? I am doing good. Had a good weekend. Uh, how was your weekend? Yeah, it wasn't too bad. I mean, no, uh, no big signings or anything, so I didn't have much to write about. But especially uh, how we had like a, a few weeks, or, or at least a week, where we had like the draft, and then we had the free agents, and it was like such an eventful week. And now, now we've had nothing. But uh, before we get into it, I was actually looking at our just the podcast info the last couple of days, and I noticed that it's actually our thirtieth episode. Uh, I don't know if that's like supposed to be a huge milestone, but for us, we're going to pretend like it is. Uh, so just wanted to say thank you for everyone who's listened. Um, I don't think when we started this, you know, we would have expected to have... Uh, actually, on the last episode, we had a 1,000 SoundCloud listens, uh, so that doesn't include the other platforms. So I don't think we would have ever expected that this to become this big. So, um, you know, obviously, thank you to everyone who's listening. And, uh, you know, if you ever have any... Um, suggestions on on podcast episodes or any ideas uh, we're always open to it Um, you know both Kevin and I's DMs I know a couple episodes ago we did the mock offseason from Poston Matthews or Cathews on um, on Twitter so we're always open to to ideas and especially over the next two months where it's going to be a little slow just in terms of news so we're always open to new ideas you said episode 30 it's episode 30 wow it's pretty good we're gonna be declining after this. I think it's gonna be uh, it's all downhill from here. But I don't know. We still have the same intro song, and I think it's still going strong. That's I still true. rock out to it. So that's true. <laughs> for so for this episode, for the big episode thirty here, we got quite a bit to talk about. Uh, last episode, we got much of the the early menu, the early moves. Sorry. So TJ Brody, Wayne Simmons, Zach Bogosian. Uh, we touched on Boyd. We touched on the Janssen for Anderson trade. But since then, quite a bit's happened. So we had the Joe Thornton signing. Jumbo Joe obviously was, you know, a pretty big name, at least, at the very least. Jimmy Vesey, Aaron, Aaron Dell. Uh, we had the Mikhaev and Dermott extensions more recently. And then just there's been plenty of signings around the league. I think, you know, whether it's been Taylor Hall to Buffalo, there's been some unexpected ones like that. Uh, Petrangelo to Vegas. Um, and then, Nick, I, at the end here, I just want to get your thoughts on just the team in general. Um, obviously it looks like we now have at least close to a final roster of what we're going to expect here. But, uh, before we get into the team in general, let's start with the biggest signing, uh, a jumbo signing, if you will. <laughs> and that's Joe Thornton one year league minimum. What did you think of the Joe Thornton signing? Well, I think that we've been talking about the Leafs potentially signing Joe Thornton for the last few years. So it's nice for it to come, um, at this time. You know, obviously at 700000 like, you can't really go wrong when it's a one-year deal. I know that a lot of people have been kind of, you know, down on them signing guys like Wayne Simmons and Joe Thornton and Jason Spezza, guys that are kind of on the tail end of their careers. But, like, we have to remember, this: these aren't one-year deals. Like, we're not talking about them signing Patrick Marlowe at the tail end of his career and, and signing him for three years. So, I mean, this is only one year. Um, when it comes to Joe Thornton, uh, I think that, you know, we really need to look at the role he's played in the last two years and then the role that he's going to play next year. Uh, last year was definitely a down year for Thornton, you know, as one would expect due to his age. But he was playing a, a ton of minutes in um, pretty much on their third line, and he did play some second line minutes. So I don't expect him to be, you know, playing even, even close to the second line for a prolonged amount of time in this next year. I think he's going to be more onto the fourth line. So... Yeah, I do expect some decline as 
you know, year to year, it gets a lot more as people get older. But when he starts to play with, you know, against lower competition on the fourth line, I think there is room that he can be quite effective like a Jason Spezza. So um, I think it definitely gives them a lot more flexibility in terms of, you know, potentially they want to move Kerfoot to the wing, something I would probably would advise against. But it does give them some flexibility, especially if, you know, Matthews or, or Tavares go down, you have at least another guy who can play center, um, you know, that can at least give you some dependable minutes there. So I think it just gives them a lot more flexibility. It's it's so uncertain to what the next season is going to be. But, you know, we're definitely going to talk about how this this forward lineup is going to match out because they have so many options now. So I, I definitely like the signing. Yeah, I think it's, it is low risk, like league minimum, player like Thornton. And if you look at things like, like expected goals above replacement on uh, evolving hockey there. Like he's still pretty good. He was, I think he was like 60, like in the sixties in terms of in the, that percentile in terms of, in terms of expected goals above replacement and the year before he was like amazing. So he, there's, there's still a chance he can still play. He was at a 36 point pace last season. Um, I do think you need at least a backup plan um, in terms of like if he does fall off because he's he is forty one he's probably gonna be forty two by playoff time but like by every metric I can see he's still pretty good obviously he's gonna add some size add some leadership uh, I think at worst like worst case scenario uh, like Gauthier I think played sixty one games last year in a shortened season uh, he played I know game one of the playoffs so I think at worst he can replace Gauthier like Gauthier didn't kill penalties uh, Thornton's going on faceoffs as well. Um, so I think where he's used, we'll see, and we'll, and we'll get kind of into that later on here, but, uh, it does give them some, some flexibility. So, uh, whether that's, he plays the wing, whether that is a third line center, whether it's a fourth line center, uh, there's different options there. I know some people didn't like it because, you know, they have, they see Spets on the team, you know, they think that they don't need another older veteran, but like watching the Leafs last year, at no point did I ever think Jason Spezza was the problem. I thought he had a very good year for the Leafs. If you could clone Jason Spezza, I would, um, just because I think he's he was certainly a good enough player f- to to be in the Leafs lineup. Um, I don't mind having both of them. I do think that there are going to be some some questions in terms of roles later on. We'll get into that later. But on its face here, like in a vacuum, I think Joe Thornton one year league minimum. Why not? I'm, I love to see him play in Toronto. It's going to be really cool, and I do think that he can bring some value, especially at that price tag. Yeah, and I think, you know, actually reading your tweet now that uh, I'm just remembering it, like I, I love that comparison with Frederick Gauthier. Like worst case scenario, this guy's your 13th forward, and last year it was Frederick Gauthier. So like Joe Thornton, I think is, I mean, objectively a lot better than Frederick Gauthier, and at 700,000, you know, you can't really go wrong with it. So it's so tough to be kind of upset with this. I, I get that there is some concern in terms of the bottom six speed because you have Spezza on there and and Simmons losing speed and now Joe Thornton but they do have guys like Kerfoot who do very well in transition VZ can skate you know Nick Robertson can be there if they can fit a guy like Pierre Engvall somehow then he helps the transition so and and obviously uh, Alexander Barabanov so like it's not like they're the bottom six is completely you know made up of old guys but I I do think that Joe Thornton you know in a nutshell is going to be good on that in that bottom six. Yeah, I think the worst case is you 12 forward, not your 13th. I'll be shocked if they scratch him other than like a rest, um, unless it's really bad. I think 
just just watching him, I did go back and watch him San Jose games against the Leafs. I think it was like February. He started a game against Austin Matthews, and it was in San Jose. So that was a matchup that San Jose was, you know, they got to choose the matchup. So it was like, and with San Jose this year, I know Couture missed some time, Hurdle missed some time. So he did, he did kind of get, you know, sometimes tougher competition. And I think as you alluded to, you know, if, if he's playing on the fourth line or, or even – like, I think there's certainly a chance that he's a good third-line center just because, uh, like, if you look at the 2018-2019 season, what you did, what he did there, like, he'd be a perfect third-line center. Of course, given his age, we don't really – we can't – I wouldn't, like, bet my life that he's going to be a good third-line center because we don't know if he'll decline, but there's at least a chance. I think he's a fine fourth-line player, if not. Uh, at least I expect him to be. League minimum, I don't really see too much risk here. I guess the only risk, and we'll get into this, whether it's Simmons, whether it's VZ, is if the player's not effective, you need to trust your coach to reduce his minutes. That's kind of the biggest risk. As long as you're on the same page, I think Dubas and Keefe are, or at least I hope so. Uh, I don't see a ton of risk, at least not at this salary. Um, the other player, Nick, that they brought in for under a million, uh, Jimmy VZ. Uh, he's much younger than Thornton, obviously, 27. <laughs> he's played with Kerfoot in the past at Harvard. Uh, he's quite big, like Thornton. He's, he's 6'3", more of a goal-first winger. Uh, he has three 16-plus goal seasons in, out, out of four. So uh, he's a goal-first forward with some size. Uh, you're going to kind of need someone like that uh, when you do have guys like Thornton and Kerfoot who don't shoot much. What are your thoughts on, on the VZ deal? I know, like Thornton, it's it's not a huge number, but what are your thoughts on the player? Well, it's interesting that he came. I know that his dad is in the scouting uh, in the scouting team for the Leafs, and and obviously he was had ties that the Leafs were interested in him when he first entered the league. So uh, it was definitely interesting to see his name there. And then I actually learned that day that he had those ties with Kerfoot back in college. So um, it should be interesting him if he does get a, a big chance to play with Kerfoot. Uh, it seems like their skill sets in general just perfectly complement each other. Um, one thing that I did notice was his his individual expected goals per sixty last year were rates were quite good. Um, also, his kind of his ability to get to dangerous scoring chance gets dangerous scoring chances was quite good last year. So, you know, Kerfoot's a guy who can find players in those areas, and if he can get to those areas, I think that that's a line that can really do well. Um, and again, nine hundred thousand, like you can't really be upset with that you know on, on a one-year deal so um, just another piece that in another kind of different look that the Leafs can give that bottom six um, and just different options so uh, you know I, I think that right now you can't be too happy about it but you also can't be too upset about it. I think that you know we'll kind of wait and see here to see uh, how this all this whole bottom six kind of comes together yeah I think with VZ uh, the secondary scoring against Columbus was a big problem um, and you, you do need some sort of shooting talent with Kerfoot or, or Thornton, as I alluded to earlier. But it's a guy with, over his career, like if you just divided points in, in, his, in his games played, like he's around a 30-point pace for his career uh, per 82 games. Uh, the only concern, the biggest concern I have at least are his defensive impacts because like in previous seasons, he did not grade out defensively. Like uh, more of like that empty calorie scorer who, you know, gives a lot up on his own end. Uh, and then last year, he actually looked about average. So, 
you know, it's not uncommon for a younger player to struggle defensively and then kind of figure it out as he gets older. I'm hoping that's what happened with, with Jimmy Vesey here, but uh, I wouldn't say that like he's never had a good defensive season. And, you know, I, I do have some concerns about his defensive game. We'll see where that's at. Uh, certainly at, at that price tag, like, He's he's variable, right? Like you can you can put him to the Marlies if you if you had to, and he wouldn't count against the cap. Um, so there's really no risk there. Um, I, again, whether it's Thornton, whether it's Simmons, uh, whether it's Beasy, is if the player's struggling, you're you're really trusting Keith to limit their minute, limit their minutes. God, that was a tongue twister for me. But uh, I I think the only concern I guess is with you know his his father working for the team. Like I do think that. You know, I don't think they're trying to screw him over and putting him to the Marlies. I do expect him to be on the team as a result. Um, I just hope that that doesn't get in, in the way of their decision-making at all. Like, if he is struggling, I hope uh, he's either demoted to the fourth line or scratched or, you know, if he's bad enough, maybe even sent down because they do have so many other options here. Uh, I hope he does have to earn it, and I hope he, he does earn that job. But, um, yeah, certainly a, a reasonable gamble to hope he can kind of reunite some magic, whether it's with Kerfoot or, or kind of be the goal scorer for, for Joe Thornton. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I would look at is how that would impact Nick Robertson. And and obviously it looks like, you know, the, the OHL season is kind of in question. And I think a lot of people were, were ready to put Nick Robertson on that third line left wing role next to Kerfoot. Um almost seems like that could be a, a really good pairing. And now you bring Jimmy Vesey, a guy that also can score goals um, and has kind of this history with, with Kerfoot and, you know, a history of playing on the third line on NHL teams. So I think that it's just getting so crowded in that bottom six right now. So if anything, I don't know if they would send him down. I, I just don't think Vesey would be bad enough to be sent down to the AHL, but I think that right now you look at it, it's it's like how bad does VZ need to play and how good does Robertson need to play for Robertson to be in the lineup when VZ's not? And I think that's like a big question that I have going into the season. Yeah, I think with Robertson too, uh, whether it's Robertson or whether it's Barrett Banoff, and I don't, we'll get into the lineup, the lines later and, and kind of those lineup decisions, but I think Robertson, it's probably his job, I don't want to say it's his job to lose, but I think if Robertson plays well enough in in training camp like if he looks like he's completely ready he's ready to be a 20 plus goal scorer they'll find a spot for him um and then you know i i think vz is likely to make the team uh, for sure like i don't think with his dad working for the team that they're going to sign him and, and you know surprise him with a trip to the marlies i just don't see that happening uh i think maybe barry bonov has to make earn a spot i would still expect him to play i'm not going to be surprised if if robertson doesn't make the team either. I'm not really sure what way they're leading there. Uh, I do I do see the value in having his entry level contract slide another year. Uh, I guess I guess it, it really comes down to how does he play in, in training camp, assuming there is a training camp. So um, again, we'll get into the lineup uh, decisions a bit later. I'll say just to sum up the Thornton BZ signings, they're both under a million. They're both bearable if if you know worst case scenario, um, and then you're really just saying to your coach, like if this guy is not performing well, if Thornton declines or Beasy just looks atrocious defensively, that you need to limit the minutes. That's that's basically it. Um, and uh, we'll get into kind of the team as a whole later, but I did want to get your thoughts quickly just on the other deals here. Uh, we can fly through them. Aaron Dell, one year, 800000 to be the third string goalie. 
Nick, I know you don't have probably an essay to say about Arundel, but <laughs> safe to say this is a, a pretty pretty good signing. Yeah, I think that last year was a big indication that this team needed a third goalie. Um, you know, as soon as Anderson was out, they and before they got uh, Jack Campbell, it was a bit of a, a rat race trying to find someone. And uh, when your third goalie is Casimir Cascasuo, who, you know, uh, not not a slight on him, but it's definitely not the guy you want to have as your third goalie. And then even after that, they had like, I can't remember now. They had was it Spar- Sparks was on the team last year, wasn't it? No. Who who am I thinking of? Jeez. Uh, Cascasuo played one game, I think, in Pittsburgh, but the Marley's other goaltender was uh, Wall. Wall, yeah, yeah. Jeez. This this pandemic has gone down for so long that I can't remember what was last year, but um, but yeah, no, it was, it was definitely they, they definitely needed someone just in case there's an injury or, or even a, a stable goaltender for the for the Marlies because uh, last year uh, it was tough, you know, it was a tough year for the Marlies. So even if Dell plays for the Marlies and and it looks like that's going to be the case, and if there's an injury with the goalies, whether it's Anderson or for Campbell, then at least you have a guy who has NHL experience in the past to come jump in. Yeah, so, I mean, Wall had an 880 save percentage in the AHL last year. He was not going to be an option as a third stringer. Um, like, you couldn't be one injured. Like, say Anderson gets hurt, you couldn't have a, a Campbell-Wall duo. It's just not good enough. So, Dell is at least a guy with some NHL minutes. He's had a 907 save percentage last year in 33 games, uh, a 908 career save percentage. So, that's a reasonable backup. Um, he did have an 886 in 1819, but... You know, he is a, like, that's why he's he's a third-string goalie and, and doesn't have an NHL job. So there is some risk that he gets lost on ra- waivers. But, um, you know, we might have, I think we're going to have some weird rules here in terms of the taxi squad with, with just because of the pandemic. Uh, we really don't have much info in terms of if there is going to be an NHL, uh, what what happens with, with those guys. Uh, do they travel with the, with the NHL team? What goes on? But, um you know, I, I, I do think this is, again, very, very little risk. Guy's variable amount. Um, and and they, he did fill a clear need. If you looked at the market, there were not many other options. Aaron Dell was kind of the only guy, like, unless, like, I don't think Jimmy Howard's signing up to, to play AHL minutes. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, good signing. I think with all of these so far, whether it's Thornton, VZ, or Dell, it's, you know, very, very low risk. And you do have a little bit of, at least a little bit of reward. Um, let's go to the RFAs quickly here. Let's start with Ilya Mikhaev. So he had filed for arbitration. So the Leafs had filed for $1 million per year, and Mikhaev had filed for $2.7. You know, not that that matters. The, the player always kind of puts a ridiculous number out there anyways. But they ended up settling for two years at $1.645. Um, Nick, what are your thoughts on, on that deal? Well, you have to be happy with that, especially when the reports came out saying that Mikheyev actually took a little bit less to, I think the quote was that he didn't want other players to be traded, which is like music to any Leaf fans' ears. Um, and it kind of just goes with the narrative of like the personality that we've given Mikheyev, I feel, or <laughs> just like a nice guy who, who puts the team first. And so it was really nice to see that. Um, I think that I have him slotted you know, in the top six, playing with uh, Tavares and Nylander or Tavares and Marner, but somewhere in that top six. So, you know, he has two years here and has a really good shot to to really make his mark on this team. So um, I think he's just the perfect player for the Leafs to play in that top six, a guy that has a, a good amount of skill. He can really fly out there when he gets to his top speed straight away. 
um, and can also add some sandpaper to his game. So um, you got to be happy at 1.6 for two years for a player like that. Yeah, I don't know if I have him in pen in my top six. I think he's definitely in the competition for that role, uh, but he's an option. And, he, you know, he did have a pretty good year last year. Uh, he's actually scored at a 48-point pace, but obviously that's a small sample. I don't think anyone's expecting him to do that again. But he can play either wing, he can penalty kill, he brings some sides at 6-3. Um, so the Leafs actually got to pick the term if it did go to arbitration. So, um, like, they didn't end up going, but if it did go, the Leafs had the choice of, of doing the extra year. Uh, I think they just had a lot of leverage there. I don't know if I'd buy the whole he took less thing. I know that got leaked from the agent, but... Um, you know, if anything, if, if Makaya went to ARB and he got like a $2 million ruling, I, I think there's a good chance he would have been traded. Um, just because, you know, I don't think the Leafs are going to move heaven and earth to get him on the team. But, um, you know, at 1.645, it works. They're going to be able to have one spare on the roster. Um, and, and with the taxi squad, we'll see what happens there and, and just in terms of their flexibility. But, uh, you know, I thought maybe it would be a one-year deal for, for a lower AAV, like if the Leafs wanted a bit more cap space. But they did have the leverage of being able to pick whether it's one year or two years. Um, so it does make sense that it was two years because I think the Leafs would rather have, or at least it, it seems like they'd rather have the extra year of kind of cost certainty. Uh, I believe he's actually exempt from the ex- expansion draft, which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, it just makes sense to avoid arbitration because, you know, it's, it's a bit of a rough process and they have a good they have a good relationship with, with the agent and uh, you know, from everything I've heard about arbitration, it's kind of like a war. So I don't think anyone ends up walks out of there too happy. And it was kind of nice to settle and I guess, keep that strong relationship. Um, But yeah, he's, he's a good player and I'm glad to have him back. I think he's a fan favorite. Speaking of fan favorites, Nick, Travis Dermott, one year for the qualifying offer, 840, 874,000, what are your thoughts on the Travis Dermott signing? Well, we talked about this a few episodes ago where we were pretty much looking at whether Dermott should sign. Well, he didn't really sign his qualifying offer, but it was for the same money. So, um, you know, pretty much did. But we were pretty much looking at should he sign for something similar to his qualifying offer or should he take something that's more like, you know, like the Pierre Engvall deal at 1.2 or higher for two or three years. And we both said that it would make more sense for him to take his qualifying offer, um, which he pretty much did. So he pretty much has a uh, prove himself year where it looks like he's going to get an opportunity to have a pretty prominent role on this team this year. And then he can sign for more money next year. So I think it was just a great decision by him. You look at a guy like Andreas Janssen, who did that a few years ago, Ended up playing with Austin Matthews and William Nylander for a lot of the season, scored 20 goals, and now is being paid 3.5 on his three- or four-year deal. I can't remember now. But a much better deal than what he would have signed if he just didn't take that qualifying offer at the beginning. So I think this is certainly going to pan out really well for Travis Dermott. I just think that he's the perfect player for this team right now. They need a guy who can play on their bottom pairing, who can play on the right side and has potential to play in the top four. I think that he's going to really push Justin Hall um, and could potentially take his spot this upcoming year. And that's no slight on Justin Hall, but I think that's just how high I am on Travis Dermott right now and on his skill set and how much he just matches the way the Leafs want to play. So um, definitely, I definitely didn't want to trade him. I know he was in a lot of kind of those, those armchair trades this summer or this off season. And 
I, I just see Travis Dermott being a leaf for a long time. Um, and, you know, it, it's not a bad thing to have a player like him on your third pairing. You know, when, when you have Jake Muzzin and, and Morgan Riley on the left side ahead of him, it's not that easy to move up. And it's okay to have a player like Travis Dermott this good to be on your third pairing. So um, I love this deal. Yeah, it's kind of a no-brainer. Like, I think most deals are when, when players are pre-ARB. So he wasn't eligible for arbitration. Uh, obviously, like 874000 like, of course you're going to do that. You had to do that to... to you had to offer him that qualifying offer in order to uh, hold his rates. Now, I know he didn't take it, but uh, it looks like he had basically waited until the Leafs were done and, and gave him that flexibility. Um, so so basically, it was, it was actually Katya at Pension Plan Puppets that had wrote the article probably a month or two ago. I know we discussed it on here as well, but um, she kind of laid out how it made sense for both sides to take the qualifying offer. So from the Leafs, they get... You know, a very low cap hit. We know how close they are to the cap. You know, I, I think it makes perfect sense for them. Um, and then for Dermot, because he's not arbitration eligible, he doesn't really have any leverage other than to not play. And, like, when you look at the Leafs' depth chart, he's not a big enough loss to really make them cave, right? Like, it's not like a Matthew sitting out where you go from, you know, a top 10 team to being mediocre. Like, he just, he's not that big of a name, at least. Uh, and then Janssen had taken his qualifying offer after his rookie season. He went right to his arbitration years the year after where he got his big deal. Um, so I think for Dermot, it is a, you know, it maximizes his earning potential, especially because uh, escrow is pretty high this year. So it's not as much of a discount as you might think uh, in terms of just real dollars. And then, you know, if, if he has a bad year, he's still going to get an NHL deal. Uh, if he has a good year, he like if he plays in the top four or takes another step forward, like maybe he's making over two million a year, maybe even over three million a year, depending on how good the, the year it is. And then it, it just makes sense for him to bet on himself. Uh, I, I think it's a good deal for both sides. I think this is a good deal for Travis Dermott. Um, if the Leafs were going to sign him for more, I think they would have offered him multiple years. So maybe like two years at like one point five or something, just to get next year locked in, which is an arb year. Um, but I think it makes sense for him to kind of bet on himself, especially because of just how high escrow is going to be. Um, so I don't think it's a huge discount. I know some people thought he was going to get paid more, but uh, we, we were kind of, I guess just based on our reading, we kind of knew or kind of assumed that, that taking the qualifying offer was the most likely. So I think it's a good deal for both sides. Um, Nick, and moving on here, this is very Dermot related, of course, but I think what you mentioned there is Dermot is a very good third-pairing guy at worst, and it seems like there is a lot of value in having a good third-pairing. It's not top four or bust. I don't know where that comes from, but I think Dermot's a lock to be in the lineup. At least he would if I was coaching. How do you see the the defense depth chart shaking out? I know with goaltending, we kind of know it's going to be Anderson Campbell. We'll get to the forwards in a minute here because I think that's going to be a much larger conversation. But for me... I see Riley, Muzzin, Brody in the top four for sure. I think Hall is going to start with Muzzin just because it worked last year. I would start with it. And then I think Dermott's a favorite for his spot. And then you kind of have you have Letton and Bogosian kind of for that last spot in a competition. I lean Letton in. Uh, maybe you go 11 forward, 7D sometimes. Maybe you rotate them. Anything you d- disagree with there? Uh, no, I think I'm a bit more sure in my lineup right now. I, I definitely have Riley and Brody together. Um, Muzzin Hall, I think right now is, is like, there's no reason to break them up right now. It's pretty much the only bright spot 
defensively that this team had last year. So yep. um, I, I don't think that there's really no any reason. I'm not saying that they're that you think that, but um, you know, Muzzin Hall definitely is a staple in that lineup right now. Uh, and then after that, it's pretty clearly to me if you're if you want your best lineup just on a nightly basis, it would be Dermot Lettinen. Uh, I don't think Lettinen's really close to to Bogosian, or and I definitely don't think Dermot is. But you know, I, I tweeted this a few days ago, and I was gonna wait to to kind of bring this up, but this is kind of like my galaxy brain idea. But just thanks to this Leafs depth this season, and and having a guy like Bogosian as their seventh, and then when you look at their forwards, you know how many options they have. When you look at sports like across like soccer and even especially soccer, you have teams that have so much depth and you have really good players sitting out um, because they have other options and they want to play a certain way against a certain team. So I look at the Leafs this year and I just think that they have a they have so many options for that bottom six and that bottom pairing where they can have a different look every night depending on who their opponent is. So, you know, I, I said that obviously that wiggling around the cap is going to be the major barrier of this strategy and, and it looks like they might need to to make a move or two to make this happen. But, you know, if you're playing a team like Boston, who's who's obviously very tough, they're good on the power play, and they keep you in your own zone for a prolonged amount of time. Like, I have no problem sitting a guy like Lettinen, having a guy like Bogosian in, and playing guys like Simmons um, in your bottom six so that, you know, you're a little bit tougher to play against. But if you're playing a team like, you know, even, let's say, Montreal, a team that's quite quick, and you want to really outscale them, then you know run Dermot Lettinen as your third pairing and get guys like Barabanov in the lineup and VZ. So I just think that that bottom pairing is going to be very dynamic this year. But pretty much to answer your question, I, I do think that right now it would be Lettinen Dermot as my bottom pairing. But again, based on who the opponent is, I have no problem putting Bogosian in there. Yeah, I think. I, I think they're definitely giving Lettinen a chance. Like, they're going to get a good look at him. So, again, we're, we're assuming there's no injuries here. If there is an injury, then I think, you know, all seven play. I could see them going to 11 forward, 7 defense, just because you could play Lettinen more when uh, when you're trailing. You can play Bogosian more when you're leading. Tampa did that in the playoffs. I really liked it. Um, you know, maybe they don't do it every night, but that is certainly a way that they could, you know, rotate guys in and out. There's also going to be a lot of back-to-backs, it sounds like. Right. At least that's... So I do think that, you know, maybe Lettinen plays one half. Maybe Bogosian plays the other half. I could see a lot of that happening. Um, I, I don't think up front they'll do much rotation. Like, I think Simmons is going to be in every night, um, at least for the start. I think Thornton the same. Like, maybe a guy like VZ I could see. But sticking to the defense here, I, I, I do think that we're on the same page here. Like, um. I know when they signed TJ Brody, a lot of people wanted to trade Justin Hall all of a sudden. And I just, I was just looking at the the lineup and being like, I've waited years for a partner <laughs> for Morgan Riley. Years, right? Like, I'm so tired of him playing with fringe top four guys. And I'm like, TJ Brody is playing with Morgan Riley. Like, if, if I got to choose, I'm definitely pairing them together. Muzzin Hall was good enough last year. As you said, it was a lone bright spot. I wouldn't break it up. Like I, I certainly think there's a chance that maybe you run Muzzin Hall back and they don't look as good. Maybe they're struggling after ten games. Maybe you maybe you change things up then. But if if I'm coaching this team, I'm definitely starting with Muzzin Hall because it worked last year. I don't really see a reason to change it at this point. And then I'm going Riley Brody because I want to see a good partner with Morgan Riley. 
So I, I think we're on the same page there. Um, with Letton, I know the hype train's kind of getting out of control. He's scoring a lot of goals. Um, but, you know, I, I just take caught. Like, for me, I'm just going to – I think it's great that he's playing well in the KHL. Um, but, you know, he's got he's to earn it in the NHL level. We'll, we'll see what happens when he gets here. We'll see how he plays. He's going to get an opportunity. Um, we'll, we'll just see how he does. I mean, it's great to have tons of options, tons of depth. Um, but yeah, I think we're pretty up, pretty on, pretty much on the same page there on on defense, Nick. Forwards, we might have a little bit more disagreements. Yeah, before before you, we get to the forwards, there I'll say this about Lettinen. I think I'm a little bit higher on him than you are. Um, but I've also seen a lot of people compare it to Ozaganov and and Nikita Zaitsev, and I'll say this about that. Look, I don't think anyone ever watched Ozaganov and Zaitsev in the KHL and said, okay, th- like these guys are really going to push the needle for the Leafs. Like, I, I, I don't think anyone thought that, you know, Zaitsev was going to be some offensive dynamo and, and then he came to the Leafs and, and he just wasn't. Like, he was more of a defensive player, good in his own zone, broke up the cycle. But, like, I, I don't think anyone really thought he was going to be, like, a great puck mover. But I'll push back there. You thought that he was going to be a good puck mover? Everyone. That, there's more hype for Zaitsev than Lettinen, for sure. Ooh, I don't know. We have different For sure. I'll go, really? find, I'll, go find, I'll go dig up some article he wrote from years ago. I'm sure you love Zaitsev. Everyone, Zaitsev had a vote over Riley in the top 2,525 Petro Plan Puppets. Just one, but the, the hype train is out of control. He had played in the World Cup of Hockey. Uh, Ozaganov, I get the point. Yes, I don't think he was as hyped as Lettinen. Um but like, if you look at the KHL and you you want to tell me who the top five defensemen are, like, yes, Lettinen's one of the top five for sure. He might even be number one. But there's there's not they don't have a ton of good great defensemen over there. I've been watching a lot of KHL uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, we'll get into guys like Amirov maybe later. But um, it is cool that he's got a good shot. It is cool that he's a great skater. Uh, Callie Rosen was also pretty hyped. He's one of the best defensemen in Sweden. Uh, I think there's certainly great signs for Lettinen, and and you know, the Zaitsev deal was fine. The first one, it was the like if they sign Lettinen to a seven year extension after this year, maybe we have different thoughts. But certainly a reasonable gamble. Uh, I would just caution, like for me, he's a he's a third pairing guy until he proves otherwise, and that could be either. Oh, that way. oh, that's for sure. But my my point is that their their skill sets like couldn't be any different. Like even watching just KHL, like. Lennon, I think, is going to be a third-pairing guy who is a lot more... I'm trying to think of what the word would be. I don't want to say explosive, but on both ends. Like, I think he's going to make some really good plays that are going to really push the Leafs up and, and cause a really good goal-scoring chance for the Leafs. But I can also see him making, like, a bad pinch that looks really bad on the Leafs. Like, Zaitsev wasn't doing those things on either end of the ice. Like, you're not going to see Zaitsev, you know aggressively jump up into the rush or, or lead a rush up the ice and, and get a, a zone entry. But you're also not going to see him make bad pinches very often. Like you're just going to see him, you know, call a turnover, which causes an icing. Like I think Lettinen and Zaitsev like, couldn't be any different. Like even when I watch Zaitsev in the KHL. Yeah, I think now Zaitsev, we, we kind of know the profile, but if you go back and you read pieces on Zaitsev from before he started the NHL, you'll be surprised. That'll be... Uh... After after the episode, go go read up and like that. I guess that's the problem. Oh yeah, no, I can only speak for myself though. Like like I'm sure that there was, but I don't know. I I, I don't remember myself like ever thinking Zaitsev was going to be some like 
you know, high risk guy that, but, but I think with Lettinen, like, I think he's going to be, you know, a little explosive on both ends. I'm still questioning his, like his defense in his own end. Uh, I've liked what I've seen, like in terms of him defending his own line, but I definitely can see him being a little over aggressive in the NHL, especially on the third pair. So that's what I'll say about that. Like, I just think they're such different players. Okay. I won't, uh, go back and read, uh, Zaitsev pieces, I guess, after after the episode. You'll be surprised. Um, I just... I, it is a good... Like, there's no problem with letting in at, at under a million. We'll see what happens. You know, we'll go from there. Maybe he plays on the second power play unit. Um, you know, Zaitsev did play on the first power play unit in his first year and actually did okay. So, uh, you know, I think just it's gone downhill ever since. But uh, in terms, I think the defense is kind of set. It looks like you know they have plenty of depth with the Marlies play. I don't know if to call them Marlies or call them just spares, but uh, you know Sandy and Lilligren, Rosen. You know Marinson's a fine number nine. I don't know if people want to see him in the lineup, but he's a fine number nine. Um, they have tons of depth there. And, and speaking of depth, they have tons of depth up front. I mean, they have they seem to have a billion options for the last two spots. Nick, when I look at the forwards here, I see five clear top six forwards, like just no doubt about it, guys. Matthews, Tavares, Nylander, Marner, and Hyman. Uh, you have one last guy for the top six, maybe Mikhaev, maybe it's Kerfoot. You know, maybe they surprise us with like a Jimmy Vesey or a Nick Robertson, who knows. Um, I guess my the biggest question when I see this lineup, like the biggest question for me or at least that I have for you, is who do you think their third-line center is? Do you think they're going back to Kerfoot like they did for the majority of last season, and Kerfoot was the third-line center in the playoffs as well? Or do you think that you see Thornton in that role? Who Who's your – who do you think is the most – I guess two things. A, most likely, and B, what would you prefer? Uh, most likely is going to be Kerfoot. Now, I'll say that with a little caveat. I do think that we're going to see a ton of – like line mixing especially with the bottom six um and that that last winger spot in that top six um so i I do think it's going to be kerfoot if it was me it would definitely be kerfoot i think that's when the third line last year looked um that's when i thought it was at its best and then if you can put joel thorne on the wing if you put him on the fourth line center i think i'd be a lot more comfortable doing that so um but one thing that I would also say is I also do see there's a, definitely a clear-cut top five in those forwards. But I would be interested to see if the Leafs would also... Like, William Nylander played a lot of left wing uh, last year. Mm-hmm. So if they did that and they... Then all of a sudden, like... Like, I don't know if they want to try Wayne Simmons in that last spot in the top six. Alexander Barabanov is kind of a big question mark on how he's going to play. Um, whether he's going to push for that, that right wing spot. So... And then you have Mikheyev to play that third line left wing with Kerfoot, which I thought last year looked fantastic. Um, and then and then you kind of can go that route too. So I think Nylander being able to play left wing as well as as well as right wing kind of puts a puts a new twist on that top six as well. So what's your guess for who's the third line center on opening night? Kerfoot, yeah, I'm I'm yeah, I'd put like 70 percent sure on that. Okay, I think. I think it's going to be Kerfoot as well, um, but we'll see. I mean, there are options for Thornton. Uh, he was, like, if he's his 2018-2019 self, he's a great option as a third-line center, like a terrific option. 
And like, if you look at something, as I was alluding to earlier, like expected goals above replacement, he actually outperformed Kerfoot last year. So there's definitely some, some reason to experiment. Uh, who you start there, I guess it doesn't really matter. I would, I would experiment. I guess it, the more important question is, who's the third line center in the playoffs, right? Like after you experiment. So you are going to get some time. Uh, the only thing I have, I guess the only question I have with, with Thornton is you do, like, and I, I asked this to Arvind uh, the other day, like who's going to be the center that takes more defensive zone starts than offensive zone starts? Cause it's not going to be Austin Matthews. You would not want to use him that way. Uh, you know, Tavares might be about even cause he takes matchups, but he's not a, he's never really been a defensive zone start kind of guy. And you know, he scored 47 goals the other year. He's the probably, you probably don't want to use him there. Uh, I don't think they, they signed Thornton for him to do that role. Like, he is good on face-offs, but it did sound, I think I read something that they had to kind of mention that like as part of his role, it'd be more offensive zone starts. Um, I don't think Spezza is going to be that guy either. Like They didn't really play him at center for most of the year last year. I expect him to play more on the wing. So I think Kerfoot is kind of that guy that you, you kind of throw out there, take a, a few more defensive zone starts. You feel okay if he's out against top lines. Um, and I guess the other thing too is like after the power play, if you have Tavares and Matthews on the first unit, and then you have Thornton Spets on the second unit, who's playing against you know that first shift against the other team's top line usually after the after the power play? So I think Kervit's going to be that guy. I know a lot of people. It's kind of like this weird narrative that he was way better on the wing last year. I don't agree. Um, I do think that it's nice to have the flexibility because you could put Kerfoot on the wing. I think you could even put Thornton on the wing. Uh, he did play on the wing for Canada at the World Cup of Hockey. Um, I don't know if I love them together because neither of them shoot. Uh, I guess I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to trying it, but um, I do think that they have lots of options here. My guess is that Kerfoot's the third line center still, um, but I, I will say that I think it it could go either way after some experimentation. Yeah, I definitely think it's going to be Kerfoot. Um, even when you look at last year, and also say this, like I, I don't think it's going to be such a huge difference. Like it's not going to be the days where we were seeing uh, Shore and Gauthier get like, you know, eighty percent defensive zone starts. Like I don't think it's going to be that big of a spread, um, like how it was when it was Mike Babcock. Like, but I do think Kerfoot's going to be probably around the same mark, if not maybe a little lower, um, as last year. Like last year, he was about. I'm just looking at it now, like. He was 47% offensive zone start. So so most of them were in the defensive zone, or at least more than um, at least more than his offensive zone start, uh, face-offs. Uh, definitely more than Matthews, more than Tavares. So like, I, I think last year they they wanted the Kerfoot, Mikheyev, and Kapanen line to play against. Like they wanted to be comfortable with that line playing against first lines. Um, it didn't really pan out, and they just kind of went back to Tavares, and, and Kapanen was, was kind of brutal defensively, so they didn't do it. But um, I do think that Kerfoot would probably still be that guy that gets the most defensive zone starts. So we're aligned there. Um, and if you have a fourth line like that you know, has Joe Thornton as your, your fourth line center, and let's say it's Nick Robertson on the left and Barabanov on the right, like I, I think that's a pretty good line that you can kind of you know, give a ton of offensive zone starts too, and and you know, hope for that they can get uh, get some some chances because uh, that's something they really missed last year. 
Yeah, I think with Kerfoot, I don't really love him as a top six winger. At least I didn't last year. Well, definitely um, not. Yeah. We're aligned there for sure. Yeah, some people seem to like him there. I know he got more points, but that's just because of who he played with. Um, like, I don't really like him with Marner for sure because, you know, Marner's very pass first, so is Kerfoot. Uh, I, I didn't mind the Kerfoot Tavares Nylander line, I guess. Like, it was fine, but the issue is, is that, you know, when Kerfoot wasn't on the third line, the third line was terrible. And he did play well as the third line center. I, I don't really know where that narrative comes that they don't they didn't like him there. Like they played him there the whole playoffs. They traded for him like specifically because they thought he could play center. And like the line that really worked well was Engvall, Kerfoot, Mikhaev. Um, like I think he had like a fifty-seven percent uh, Corsi with with Engvall last year. So it like that really worked as a checking line. The problem that I didn't like with that line is that they couldn't really like they're more defense first than than offense first, and when you had Gochi as your fourth line center, <laughs> then all of a sudden you had no scoring in your bottom six. But I really like that line as a as a defense first line. I don't know if Engvall will be on the team. We'll see. Uh, he's probably got an outside outside rather than inside right now. Um, but you have guys. I don't know if it's Simmons. I don't know if it's Robertson. I don't know if it's someone like Joey Anderson, if he somehow makes the team, or Barry Banoff. But I think you need some sort of of checking line or someone that's, that's going to take more defensive zone starts. I think Kerfoot is, is probably the best option there. Uh, as you said, I don't think it's going to be like the Nick Shore, Gauthier days where, under Babcock, but um, you know he does have transition skill. I don't think he's all that strong on the boards. I don't really like him on the wing. Um, I, I thought he played well in the playoffs, and I think you did as well, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I'm fine with him as a third line center. I at least want him on the team. Oh, if, if you trade Kerfoot, I want another center back because I, I don't want to have all my eggs in the Joe Thornton basket just in case he does decline because he is going to be probably 42 by playoffs. If he doesn't look good as a third line center, I want someone else at the very least who can slide in that role. Yeah, I'll ask you this. So I'm glad that you brought up the McKay of Kerfoot Engvall checking line last year. Like, what would be your line, like that checking line, like the equivalent of that this year with the players? Because like I look at the bottom six options and, you know, there's not really that many guys that are very, very strong defensively or, or really even like good defensively there. Like they got guys like Simmons that are, you know, kind of struggle defensively. Last year he had a decent season. Barabanov is kind of a question mark. Robertson is kind of remained to be seen. VZ is, you know, questionable defense defensively, like, like my line would be McKay of Kerfoot and Joe Thornton on the right on the wing. Like I think that's really their only option if they want a third line checking line. Uh, I would probably say just roll the same one back. I don't know if Engvall is going to be on the team though. That's the only oh yeah, problem. well yeah, that would be that would be excluding Engvall. Just I don't know how they're going to fit him in. Like let's say excluding him, what would be your line? I wonder if Thornton is. A fit with Kerfoot, I guess we'll see. We could try it. It's just neither of them shoot, so that's a bit of an awkward fit. Um, if that is going to be a checking line, I don't think you put VC there. I just don't think he's good enough defensively. Right. Um, but we'll see. He did have improvement. Um, I want Simmons on the fourth line to start. Now he did. He has. He's had like so many injuries last year that it's kind of tough to tell what he is at this point. Uh, but he's been brutal the last two years. Like, he's been bad. I know what he's here for. He's here to provide some physicality. I think he'll be fine in a fourth-line role. But uh, unless he looks like his old self, like unless he doesn't look like he has the last two years, I'd like him on the fourth line. 
Um, but maybe he fits in there. Like I wouldn't mind Simmons in that role. It's, it's just tough to say with Simmons what he's going to look like just because of how many injuries he's gone through. But yeah, I wouldn't mind going with like Engvall, Kurvit, Mikhaev again if he's on the team. If Joey Anderson's on the team, I think he kind of fits there as well. Uh, you can move Mikhaev to either wing. I'm not really too sure what to make of Barrett Bounov yet. I think he's kind of like the Simmons boat where it's, you know, let's see what he looks like and go from there. Um, I, I wouldn't mind Thornton on the wing and the second line. I think that's an option that maybe doesn't get discussed enough because Thornton did play the wing uh, at, for Canada at the World Cup of Hockey. Uh, he hasn't in San Jose the last few years, A, because he was really good in 2018-2019, and B, because last year they just had so many damn injuries that they needed him at center. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him, uh, maybe like, I think it would be a fun line if he played with Matthews and, and Nylander, at least to try, right? Like Matthews normally doesn't face top competition anyways. Thornton has pretty decent defensive results most years. Uh, he can really pass the puck. He's big. He's like a, just a big presence on, on the four check, not on the four check, I guess, but more just down low. He's such so good at cycling. Uh, I, I think it would be interesting. I, I just think there's a lot of flexibility with Thornton. The other thing I'll, I'll mention is when the Marlies won the Calder, so Goche, they had a Goche Engvall in greening line. That was kind of the line that was the checking line that got defensive zone starts that played against, uh, they played against top lines quite a bit. And then they kind of had their two powerhouse lines, which was Mira Altonen playing with Janssen, Chris Mueller playing with Ben Smith was the big duo on the second line. I love and then they had more line. of a, their fourth line was more offensive, right? Like it was, it was Marchment, Trevor Moore, and, and then Brooks in the middle. They scored a ton. I wouldn't be surprised if you went, maybe you go with more of a checking line as your third line. Maybe you go with like, as you mentioned, maybe you go with like Thornton and Nick Robertson. If he makes a team or, you know, Spezza or Simmons try to provide some offense. I wouldn't be surprised if they went with that strategy. I'm not too concerned about Thornton's minutes, especially if there's a lot of back-to-backs. He's going to get power play two time. Uh, you can give him some extra shifts if you want to, if he's if he's good enough and you think he's going to help. But I, I do think that they have a lot of options here, whether it's Kerfoot, sorry, whether it's Thornton on the second line or I guess the Matthews line, which is, a, I guess I'd call it the first line, um, but not the matchup line. I don't think he'll play there. Um, I, I could see him uh, as the third line center. I could see him as the third line winger. I could see him as the fourth line center. I think there's lots of options there, and I think we're really just going to have to experiment and, and kind of see where it goes. Yeah, actually, I have Thornton down as like an offensive zone start, like after an icing, to play with Matthews and Nylander or, or with Tavares and Marner. Uh, I think that would be really cool. Like last year, we saw Keith even go with like power lines of like Nylander, Matthews, Marner after icings uh, for the offensive zone start. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Thornton there. Um, I think that'd be pretty fun. And just like a, a way to get him some more minutes in the offensive zone. So um, I, I think that'd be really cool. So again, like just so much flexibility, like even in-game um, with this current lineup. So, uh, and I think Keith is the perfect coach for a guy that, that you know, experiments quite a bit. I know that last year we were, you know, kind of tired of the experimenting just because of the position that they were in. Like they were, they were literally fighting for a playoff spot when he took over. So we weren't really looking for experimentation at that time, but you know now he has a fresh season. Um, and it looks like it might be a Canadian-only uh, division by the looks of it. So I think they'll have some time to do experimentation. So before the playoffs come. Okay, so I agree with you there. 
In terms of this roster, I think we can both agree that they look better, uh, mainly because they're like PJ Brody's just a huge addition to the back end. I, I, I do think that going from Tyson Berry's defense to TJ Brody's defense is going to be a big improvement. Um, but when you look at this team, I, I wouldn't say that they're the best team in the league. I wouldn't say that the second best team in the league. You know, they are, I'd probably say that they look like a top 10 team on paper. But what do you think is, what's your biggest concern with this team? What do you think is the big, like, if, if you could nitpick and say, okay, what's this team missing? Where would I like to upgrade? What's your, what, I guess when you look at this roster, whether it's forwards, whether it's defense, goaltending, uh, in terms of what lines, where do you kind of circle and say this could be a little bit better? Uh, well, I'll say like my biggest concern is definitely goaltending, especially after the year Frederick Anderson had last year. Um, I've been pretty, you know, out with it, saying that I wanted the Leafs to move on from Anderson, and and I don't mind them giving him this last year um, in front of a better defense. Um, and just a better team defensively, it should kind of looks like. But um, I, I think that has to be the biggest question mark. I think their defense looks a lot better. Their forwards, yeah, they lost, you know, Janssen and Kapanen. But I think they've done a decent job filling out at least, like, good options for that bottom six. So we'll see how it pans out. But I don't think that... I definitely think the improvement of the defense is a lot more than what they lost offensively, if that makes sense. But... You know, the biggest thing that didn't really change is Frederick Anderson. So I think you, you hope that, you know, he's been consistent enough over the past few years other than last year that hopefully last year is an outlier. But uh, I think that has to be the, the concern going into next year. Yeah, I think it's definitely the number one concern, as it should be for most teams. Like, if Anderson ha- plays like he did last year, then you kind of need, you know, that is number one concern. Um, so I'm with you there. I think the def- like if I had to pick between defense and forwards right now, I would actually say that I'm more concerned with the forwards, which is a first. Like I have never said that uh, in years here because I think the defense just has the depth. Like they both have tons of depth in terms of guys that could either play on the third pairing or play on the on the fourth line. Um, but I think looking at the forwards, I will say that I think they're missing one top six forward. Like I think they have five right now, not six. Uh, I wouldn't call Makayev a top six forward yet. Um, you know, certainly they'll have some guys that, that can compete there, but I don't know if they have really a sixth. The other thing I would say is I don't think they really have, I'm not sure if they have an elite third line center. I don't know if they've ever, like, obviously when they had Kadri, that was a, a huge luxury. But, like, if I look at teams like Tampa that, like, last year, you know, they went point, Yanni Gord, and Sorelli down the middle in the, in the finals. And, you know, Stamkos either played the wing during the season quite a bit, or, you know, even when he was out, they survived. I do think that if there was an injury to a Tavares or Matthews, it'd be kind of devastating. Uh, I guess maybe Nylander plays center then. But I wouldn't mind one more. I guess the other thing I kind of have a concern about is the forward defense. They don't really have a Couturier or or a Sorelli or Ryan O'Reilly. I wouldn't mind... uh, and, and I don't know how you do it. Like, I think it could be a question for the deadline where you see where, like, you see how Thornton's playing. You see how Wayne Simmons is playing. Uh, you see if Robertson makes a team. And if so, how's he playing? Uh, you kind of know, you know, how's Jimmy Vesey? Does he look fine defensively or does he look like a problem defensively? So I think, you know, whether it's a guy like Kyle Parmeri for a rental, um, you are going to be trying to accrue some cap space here. I think then at the deadline, you either look at, you know, maybe a, a good play driving winger or 
maybe an elite third line center. Um, that's kind of my, when I'm looking ahead at this team, you know, maybe it happens this off season. Like if, if Uyghur was available, you know, that's defense, but if, if, you know, if they're the right, pl- like say you got a great deal for Palmieri right now, I think you can do it. Um, or you'd have to try to get creative, but I think down the road, I'm looking at, at the deadline, maybe trying to add another top six winger or a really, really, really strong third line center. Yeah, I agree there. I think they definitely have the template that, like they have the template that, you know, they can really have, be competitive throughout the season. And then once the trade deadline comes, they can look at it and they're only like one piece away, if anything, uh, from being like a really, really good team. But I'll say this about the defense. Like, I'll ask you this, mm-hmm. um, because I know that, you know, you know, with this roster in general, like, it's always been, the yes, the defense has, has really struggled, but the forwards also, also, as you alluded to, like, haven't been very good defensively. And we saw a big push from Matthews last year. He became a lot better defensively, and you hope that he continues to, to show that, those defensive numbers. But, um... Last year, the Leafs finished 17th in expected goals against uh, in the league. So based on the roster, and that was with Tyson Berry on the team, with Cody Ceci and all their injuries. Like, where do you see them finishing this year? And this is at 5-on-5, obviously. Like, where do you see them finishing this year in terms of expected goals against per 60? My big question is Brody because he's kind of been, like, his results have been inconsistent year to year. I think he is pretty good. Uh, just watching him. I do think that there's huge addition by subtraction just by getting rid of Barry. Like, say what you want about him as a puck mover, but he's not good defensively. He's never been on a penalty kill. There's a reason for that. Um, so I do think that they'll improve. Um, but I don't think that they have the forward defense of, say, Tampa Bay or, or uh, even St. Louis comes to mind with Ryan O'Reilly there or, you know, Philadelphia with, with Kachuri and Hayes. Yes, Matthews got better last year. I'd say he's maybe average to slightly above average. He's certainly not in the Couturier class defensively. So, oh, you know, Marner's actually yeah. pretty good defensively. Um, I would say Pierre Engvall is, is one of their best defensive forwards. I don't know if he's going to be on the team, so maybe that hurts them. Um, so I do kind of have concerns there, and I think we mentioned that earlier, where, you know, who's taking the defensive zone starts on this team, or at least more than their fair share, um, because... Goche last year was that guy, and I don't think it's a massive hole, but, um, you know, I don't think it's going to be Matthews, Tavares, or Thornton. Uh, Maybe it's Kerfoot, and maybe you kind of find a role for him that way. Um, Maybe it's like an Engvall-Spezza thing like you did in the the playoffs where Spezza plays the wing, but he he can take right-handed face-offs. I do think that they'll figure that out. I just think that, yes, they do need a little bit of internal improvement, you hope, uh, you hope that you know. You hope that a guy like VZ or a guy like Miko Lettinen isn't hurting them defensively, because uh, we, we kind of don't really know um, how they're going to fare, how they're going to grade out there. But I do expect some improvement. Probably not top ten. I would probably say just just outside, maybe like eleventh or twelfth would be. Yeah, that's right. Uh, kind of what I'd. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one thing before we get out of here, Nick. I know you wanted to talk about some of the players that are currently playing. Uh, Europe is, is, is playing, uh, for the most part, I know the KHL is going on, uh, the SHL is going on, league is going on, um, and, and the Q is actually playing a bit as well right now. So 
Uh, I'll give you the floor here, Nick, because I know you wanted to touch on some of the players currently playing. Who have you had your eye on, and, and who have you been impressed with? Um, I guess the easy question would be Mikko Lettinen. I think that you know him with Jokera, it's just he, he looks like the better, the best, one of the best players on the team. You know, every single shift that he's on. Um, you know, we've seen like a lot of goals, like just on on like the Twitter timeline and stuff. Like, I don't think he's gonna be like some big goal scorer when he comes to the Leafs, but. I think in terms of transition, I think in terms of him just, you know, almost being like the, the, the quarterback of each shift, even at five on five, I think that we're going to see him really take charge with the puck and kind of start off a lot of, you know, entries and, and exits for the team. Um, so it's going to be fun with seeing him with Travis Dermott, but I've really enjoyed watching him. Um, Amirov, and I'll get your opinion on Amirov too. It's been kind of tough to watch him just because he hasn't played very much, like especially in the last week. Um, but from what I have seen of him, like he's just like a really just responsible player. Like I love watching him. Just seems like he's always doing the right thing when he's on the ice. Uh, I just wish we we watched him play a little bit more. Are you kind of on the same? You also want to see him play more? Um, yeah, obviously. <laughs> it is the KHL, so right. Uh, what I'll say is that like Marat Kuzindinov, who should have been a first round pick, he went he went thirty fifth, thirty sixth in Minnesota. Like he's he's dressing and not not touching the ice and like pod Coles in last year, Vancouver Canucks fans will tell you that it's always a bit of a mystery how much the player is going to play. It's not a developmental league. It's a professional league. Uh, if you just look at kind of how they build the world juniors teams, it's always older players. They, they really place a premium on age. Uh, he was getting more minutes when their team was missing a bunch of players. Uh, suspiciously, I think we can probably assume why. Um, and, and then, like he's, we know he can dominate the MHL. I've seen him play against, you know, top CHL players. Uh, we've seen him play against, you know, best on best international tournaments. It looks like we're going to see him at the World Juniors, uh, for sure. I would assume as long as he's healthy. Um, so yeah, it's uh, you know he's supposed to play uh, Korshkov tomorrow, I think, or that'll be Monday, and then uh, it's fun to watch him. I mean. The, the KHL, like especially his team, I find that it's kind of boring hockey. Like it's bigger ice, everything's kind of pushed to the outside. Most of the offense comes from the power play. I find all the goalies have like ridiculous save percentages because all the shots are low danger. So it is kind of boring to watch at times. But uh, I'm I'm hoping that they uh, for next, I guess down the road here when Amirov eventually makes it to the NHL. I'm hoping that they reunite him with Nikita Nikita Shoshnikov because I love Shoshnikov <laughs> with the Leafs. Got to ride the wave. So, you know, maybe that's something we can hope for, Nick. I think that's my favorite thing about watching KHL hockey, other than watching the current Leafs, is you just hear names that you're like, oh, yeah, those guys. Like, I, I forgot about those guys. But Yeah, uh, Semin, Semin scored the game winner against the Miraf's team the other day. Really? I, I missed that. But um, also Philip Hollander is uh, playing for, I hope I don't mess up his name, but Lalia um, in the SHL. He, he was kind of had a rough start, but um, he's kind of come alive in the last couple of the games, especially this week, um, and picked up an assist this week. So, so that was good. And also, uh, I actually didn't know this until I saw a tweet from, from Kyle Cushman that Dennis Malgin is actually playing as well. Um, and he had he had three goals in two games um, for Lusane. So I actually need to, to look into that. But I, I didn't know Dennis Malgan was even playing right now uh, until yeah, I saw yeah. that tweet. So so yeah, but I guess he's been doing pretty good too. But 
Um, I'll say this about Korshkov as well, also playing in the KHL right now. Um, I guess I've been like, you know, kind of a critic of him and I wanted to see more from him in terms of just other than goal scoring and playmaking like around the net. Yeah, and he's not even really a big goal scorer, but um, just in terms of play driving, I wanted to see more and his skating. And it's just something I just, even at the KHL level, like I'm not really seeing that. I think once you get him around the net um, and he can make some passes or, or shoot, I think he's quite effective. But to get him there is a little tough. Um, I don't know. I, I just I, I see some people penciling him in to, to compete for this Leafs roster. I still don't have him there, especially after watching him in the KHL. Um, and, and I don't know, like, I, I think he's a guy that, you know, could be traded kind of like a Carl Grundstrom, uh, going forward. I think that's kind of, I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty low on him, um, making the team this year or in the future until I see him, his skating improving and, and just his overall play, play driving. Yeah, I think there's just a billion options right now with, with guys that can play the fourth line. And the fact that they got Thornton and Simmons kind of reduces their need for size. Um, it's nice that he's doing pretty well in the KHL. Um, but as you said, I wouldn't be surprised if they shopped him. Uh, it seems like they're going to move someone, like whether it's Maligan, whether it's a guy like Kenny Agostino, whether it's like Patan. There's so many players right now that just aren't going to get an opportunity or, you know, are so unlikely to, to win a job. Like it, it seems like there's like nine guys for one spot. And especially if they're going with like a 20 man roster or 21. Um, I, yeah, I mean, it, it's nice. There's just a billion guys, you know, good luck separating yourself when you have all this competition, but yeah, it is nice. I am with no NHL right now and not many sports going on. I have been watching more, more, uh, just guys like, like I've watched Latin in a few times. I probably wouldn't have watched them otherwise. Um, <laughs> I, I'll probably watch Korshkov tomorrow, assuming I'm right and he, he is playing in Europe. Um, that'll be cool. Uh, the the queue's going on, but right now it's only the uh, Maritimes. So William Villeneuve is playing right now, but Abramov's not. Quebec's kind of shut down uh, just for the for a little bit here. Um, so yeah, it's been kind of fun watching these guys that you know you might otherwise not watch quite as much. We're clearly um, starving for hockey if we're watching these games, but yeah. uh, especially especially with no NHL like in October, which is which is so weird. But but before we go, I did want to get your opinion on the Canadian division. Like I know we're hearing a lot of rumors right now that that's kind of the the direction the Le- the, the Leafs the NHL might need to go. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you rank the Leafs right now? And you know, I think there's just so many teams in the middle, like of that. If there is a Canadian division that are that are so close, like if you could give me a rough ranking right now, um, you know, to kind of put, we'll we'll replace the trivia the trivia question with this. So, like, what's your ranking right now? Uh, if there is a Canadian division, okay. So I'm gonna work backwards here. Last is definitely Ottawa. I know everyone likes to say now. Everyone like, see it on t- right now. People see it on Twitter and are like, oh my god, they're going to be good. They're still not that good. Um, you know, they don't have, I think they went and got like Erica Branson. Um, you know, Matt Murray's fine, but he's not, I don't think he's a huge difference maker. And they just have, you know, we don't know if they're going to have to do Claire back. I just don't, like, Dodonov's good, but I don't think they're that improved. Um, so I, I certainly think they're last. Um, after that, it is kind of a gray area. I don't think there's huge separation. Uh, I don't think Edmonton's going to be very good. I don't think they're very good defensively at all. 
Uh, I know they added Tyson Berry. Like this is a team that really struggled defensively last season. And I think that really showed against the Blackhawks and, you know, their goalies are still cock, uh, Miko Koskinen and Mike Smith and Mike Smith was not good last year. So, you know, I, I think they're going to be worse than expected. I can't really put Vancouver one right now because, you know, they lost Markstrom. I guess they upgraded defense with Nate Schmidt, but they lost to Foley as well. So I think there's some some kind of holes there. Uh, we don't really know. I don't, I'm don't. i not a huge Holtby fan at this stage. Um, Demko is a bit of a question mark, so I'm not going to put them one. Uh, Winnipeg, I think just there's too many. Winnipeg's pretty good. Uh, they just aren't coming off a great year. They have tons of scoring talent, like the Leafs. They have a good goalie. Uh, I think their their defense is weaker than the Leafs at this stage, even though they did re-sign DeMello. Uh, Montreal's good, but I'm not going to put them ahead of the Leafs at this point, although they are improved. Um, so I think the Leafs are either one or two. I think it's them in Calgary. Calgary got Jacob Markstrom. Uh, you know, their defense, they did lose Brody, but they got Tanev, which is a bit of a downgrade. Um, I have more concerns about that in the long term. Um, but I, I'll say Leafs won. I, I just I don't know if that's I'm higher on the Leafs or if I'm just lower on the Canadian teams. But uh, I, I just don't think there's really another Canadian team that I'd call elite or at least to the point where I'd put them ahead of, ahead of the Leafs. Yeah, that's more or less what I have. Like I definitely have the Leafs number one. I think that they should be celebrating right now that they're going to be potentially be in a division that doesn't include Boston or Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, even if Boston has the injuries, I mean, they're still a good team, but I mean, after all these years of playing two of, you know, arguably the top three teams every year in your division, um, I think they got to be counting their lucky stars that they're going this route with a Canadian division. But in saying that, I think that in that second tier, there's so many teams. Like I have the Leafs, then I have Flames. Oilers, Canucks, Jets, Habs, Sens. Um, but, you know, like, I wouldn't be surprised at all, like, based on the additions that the Habs made, that that they would finish second. Like, I wouldn't be surprised at all. So I just think that from 2-2 two, two to 6, the, it's just so close. So for a team like Montreal, I think that they should be upset that if they go the Canadian NHL, the, the Canadian division route, um, because I think they, you know, might have been able to squeak into that Atlantic. But uh, but now it's it's just become really tough for them. Yeah. But for the Leafs, I think they should be really happy about this, and it's going to be really fun, just in general, like like to see these Canadian teams like play each other each week. Like I think that's going to be super fun for the product this uh, in the country. Yeah, I'd have probably Montreal slightly higher, but as you said, there's so many teams kind of bunched together, like they're all pretty close. Um, I will say this, like with an injury or two, or you know, if Anderson doesn't play well. The Leafs could fall down pretty quickly. I don't think they're like, you know, a, a lock to be one or anything. Right. I think it is very close. But, um, yeah, that would be fun to see. Uh, certainly give us some different matchups. And I think we're all tired of, of, of playing Boston. So <laughs> uh, it would be nice. Um, I guess be, uh, for, for next episode, Nick, it does seem like we're going to have quite a bit still here. Like, it, it's just amazing how much is left to happen this off season, like just around the league, whether it's, you know, like a guy, like a 30, an established 30 goal scorer, like Mike Hoffman still hasn't signed. You have Duclair who hasn't signed. Frederick Gauthier still hasn't signed. Frederick Gauthier hasn't signed. We needed a podcast is, by itself for that. Going through a, That'll be an emergency. Yeah. That'll his greatest hits. Pod. And then. Pros and cons of like, signing him. 
<laughs> teams like teams like Tampa who have to move money, the Islanders have to move money. I think the Blues have to move some money. So definitely a lot to talk about here, Nick, as as we kind of go through the off season. Um, hopefully, we'll talk in the next couple of weeks. And thanks everyone for listening.